Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 197. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. The 2022 election is now really finally over. Almost. But the 2024 presidential election has definitely begun. And because of that especially, now is again a time to stay vigilant. We will make America safe again. We will make America glorious again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. He's back. If you listen to this show, you're not surprised. I've been predicting this since he lost last time. If you weren't watching Fox when he gave this speech, you're missing a full understanding of what was happening. This wasn't a launch for most of America or for CNN or for MSNBC or for NPR. This was a rollout to the MAGA base, enabled and propelled by Fox News. And it's effective. When Trump's really long speech started to run long, Fox cut away from him. But they cut away from him for fawning analysis from Pete Hegseth and from Mike Huckabee. And Trump was still talking. And they were cutting away from him because they're shining him up. They're trying to make him look better than he is. They're trying to make him look good. They're helping him. Now, the liberal media analysis of Trump and Fox is almost always wrong. They said Fox was dumping Trump and that Rupert Murdoch had reportedly warned Trump that his media empire would not back Trump again, as so many of his minions had turned instead to Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And you know what you didn't hear once in Fox's coverage of Trump? DeSantis. You didn't hear them talk about DeSantis at all. Fox won't leave Trump. He's too good for business. They cut away at times, yeah, but to help him. He was droning, so they cut away to prop him up, to tell the audience how awesome and imminent he is. And Laura Ingram was doing it again afterwards to show highlights and make him look stronger than he is. MAGA is a team game, and they're all in, again. From Fox News to Kevin McCarthy to Marjorie Taylor Greene to Trump's family. He's coming, people. And it's his nomination to lose. And it's time for everyone who's all bent out of shape and surprised and outraged to stop being emotional and be strategic. Whether he gets the nomination and is elected president again or not, he's running. And he has the potential to do massive damage to our country. So stop analyzing his political prospects and start analyzing his threat to our national security. Because as Democrats continue to do their victory dance, and much of the media follows along, the big story is not only that Democrats won the Senate, and that they almost won the House. 
and that radical MAGAist extremist election deniers like Carrie Lake lost her run for governor in Arizona. That's actually not the big story. The big story is that Carrie Lake still got 49.6%. Roughly half of the state's voters did buy the crap that she was selling. And we saw similarly high percentages in other close races with MAGAist candidates. MAGAist election deniers lost nationwide, yes. But their movement is far from dead. Tens of millions of Americans are still MAGAists and believe the big lie. They're not gone. And they are right now being reinvigorated, unified, animated, and mobilized by Trump announcing that he's running again. And as I dug into it in the last episode, it's great that there's been no violence so far, but we can't let our guard down yet or spike the ball. Anything can happen. Ask the Philadelphia Eagles, who were undefeated until they ran into the Washington Commanders the other night. But this is no football game. Carrie Lake has now lost the election for governor in Arizona. But just as I predicted last week, she will not accept the results. And she will try to make Arizona ground zero for Trump's American insurgency. It'll be Arizona and it'll be Georgia. Trump was looking for a focus and he got it in two states that are right for him and his extremist MAGA movement. Many of us want the threat to our democracy and national security to be over, but it's not. We may only be at halftime, and hope is not a course of action. So we can't stop fighting and defending. This is our new forever war, until it's not. And we're far from that point right now. So it's still very much a time to stay vigilant, because even though the election is over, stakes are still high and getting higher. Stakes are permanently high now, like our collective national blood pressure, like the number of investigations flying at Trump, like the morale of the Ukrainian military after retaking her son, and like my body weight after next week's Thanksgiving dinner. Stakes are high and chaos is our new normal. And we're going to dig into it hard with our guest in just a minute. He's a guy who's been inside the GOP, a guy who helped create Trump's brand of Republican, and a guy who saw the light, changed his jersey, left the GOP, and joined our growing army of independent Americans. But before we get to him, we got to quickly go around the horn and recognize how truly high the stakes still are. The elections are over with the exception of the runoff between Democrat Raphael Warnock and Republican super dummy Herschel Walker. The elections are over, but our problems are not. So it's back to the after effects of the pandemic, back to hyperpartisanship, back to war in Ukraine, back to Trump, and back to school shootings. Mass shootings at schools are back. Three people were killed and two others were wounded in a shooting at a parking garage at the University of Virginia. Three University of Virginia football players, wide receiver Lavelle Davis Jr., wide receiver Devin Chandler, and linebacker Deshaun Perry, were identified as the three killed in the on-campus shooting. A former football player, Christopher Darnell Jones, is in custody. And we've got another one, another mass shooting, only in America, 
and our enemies are celebrating. And there's so much chaos in the world, that kind of news was almost only a blip on the radar. But it's something that should be on your radar. And I got a few more for you. Now, if you're a regular, you know Ukraine should always be on your radar because stakes have never been higher there, too. And if you didn't hear because you needed to go on some kind of mountain cleanse after the election, an explosion happened across the Ukrainian border in Poland this week. And for a few hours, World War III was trending on Twitter and much of the world was on edge. Turns out the explosion in Poland was likely caused by Ukrainian forces firing at Russia's missiles. But two people died in Poland, and it was because of Putin's invasion and attempted occupation of Ukraine. And it was only a matter of time before it spilled over, most likely into NATO ally Poland, if not on purpose, due to the Russian military's constant lack of precision and control. But war is messy. This was almost the biggest escalation of the war by Putin yet, and one that Poland and NATO would have undoubtedly had to respond to. Ukraine's war is NATO's war. Ukraine's war is America's war. It always has been, before explosions came across the border into NATO. And thanks to U.S. support, it's a war Ukraine is winning. Ukraine has retaken her son a strategic city and one of the biggest prizes in Ukraine's war so far. And all the Russian hawks are reacting angrily and disrupted to what is undoubtedly a retreat by Russia. But it's still a brutal war and it's still hard and violent. And right now, large parts of Ukraine are without electricity as a result of Putin's attacks on energy infrastructure. Civilians continue to be killed in Kyiv after Russian strikes on residential buildings happen in the center of Ukraine's capital. And Ukraine's in for a hard winter. But Russia may be in for an even harder one. Things may slow down in the war, but the fighting won't stop. And you don't stop when you have the momentum. And Ukraine has it right now. Ukraine will win this. And our help will be vital. This is the good fight, the fight of our time. And Ukraine will win, and Putin will lose. And I'll say it again. The road to peace goes over Putin's dead body. But peace will come one day. And when victory does come for Ukraine, we in America should welcome President Zelensky and Ukraine's heroes to receive a true hero's tribute in New York City with a ticker tape parade in the Canyon of Heroes. They deserve it more than any baseball team or anyone else in our lifetime. And it's something we can all look forward to. The fighting continues in Ukraine. And also, below much of the American radar, the fighting continues inside Iran. Brave protests continue all across Iran. And there were three days of nationwide protests on the anniversary of the November 2019 massacre. 
On November 15th, 16th, 17th, there are protests everywhere. Despite the crackdown, the will of the Iranian people is strong. But the crackdowns are severe. That's the sound of Iranian military forces shooting at people at a train station in Tehran. People who were protesting. They were chanting in a public space. And that infuriates the regime. So they open fire. More and more violent acts continue to try to silence protesters in Iran. But the movement continues and grows. And the spirit of Masa Amini lives on and grows. It's like the opposite of the MAGA movement, the opposite of January 6th. And much like the fight in Ukraine, it's an example of the true American spirit we often seem so far away from ourselves right now. But maybe that spirit was regained a bit in this last election. The fight might almost be over, but the great fragmentation of our politics in America continues. key takeaway from the election is how divided America really is. Yeah, we united for like a few hours on Veterans Day for those in America that remembered it was happening, but then it was back to the same old ripping and tearing apart of each other. Half the country is pissed off and unhappy about the election right now. And anger and division continues to be the story of our politics. Now, Republicans have formally won the House, barely, and Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker. But the Democrats did pull off the 50 seats they needed to keep control of the Senate. And it was the latest big win for Biden after a string of big wins. You got to give him credit. But remember when the Democrats almost nominated Bernie Sanders? I talked about it a lot in this show in those days. Now, I've been appropriately critical of Biden over the years. But everybody has to now, especially in the Democratic Party, finally realize that only Biden could have beaten Trump. And only Biden could have gotten all this legislation through. And only he could have helped the Democrats keep the Senate. And it was Senator Catherine Cortez Masto's re-election victory in Saturday in Nevada that flipped it. And that was after Democrat and astronaut Mark Kelly was called in Arizona, holding on to John McCain's Senate seat. The Kelly victory was another big win for what I called the camouflage wave. It happened on Veterans Day. On Veterans Day, the Navy vet and astronaut Mark Kelly was victorious. It was yet another vet victory in another close race. Another vet with huge appeal to independent Americans. Now, I've been honored to meet Mark Kelly. Before he was in the Senate, before he was running for office, when he was Gabby Gifford's husband. And he's a true patriot, an incredible leader, and husband to one of the most badass leaders on the planet, Gabby Giffords. Arizona, in my view, is fortunate to have him returning as a senator. And he's a kind of maverick who can carry on the spirit of John McCain. Also in Arizona, Democrat Katie Hobbs beat extremist and Trump favorite Carrie Lake. She won with a coalition of 96% of Democrats and nearly two-thirds of independents. Independents were again the key. And maybe the single most important election result 
the one that most positively impacts our national security is that every election denier who sought public office in critical battleground states lost. So the MAGAists lost at the polls, but they still hold huge power inside the GOP. And Congress is back in session, and the GOP civil war is on. Now, the Democrats are usually the party that can be counted on to eat their own. But for the next two years, it looks like it's going to be the GOP's turn. Now it's the Republicans that are truly eating their own. And it's just getting started. Rick Scott announced he was going to challenge Mitch McConnell for Senate GOP leader. Kevin McCarthy faced challenges from within his own party. And the Republicans are also now having close races for House Majority Whip and for National Republican Congressional Committee Chair. So the division inside the GOP is extreme. And the division across America during and after the election was and is extreme. And that's a critically important part of this bigger story. There was no red wave, but there was a camouflage wave of veterans. And I dug into that in the last pod with Michael Beschloss. And it's continued. There are still three unresolved House races that have candidates with military experience. But now we're at 95 veterans in Congress next year so far. But in addition to the camouflage wave, we can now see there was also an independent wave. Or maybe we should call it a purple wave. We saw that in Arizona with Carrie Lake and Katie Hobbs and with Mark Kelly and Blake Masters. Independence made the difference. The most influential part of the electorate is the ones like us who choose neither party. The people who choose none of the above. And for those people, a huge win happened that was way below the radar. Open primaries in Nevada passed via question three. It's official now. And it happened on Veterans Day, while 50% of vets call themselves independents. The independent wave is real. And independent Americans are the difference makers in American politics right now. And the fastest group of voters. Independent doesn't mean the middle. It means none of the above. And it's not a new party. It's no party. America is not a party, it's a mission. America is not a party, it's a team game. And as the great fragmentation of American politics continues, more and more, independents are uniting as one team. The parties are eating their own. The parties are weakening. The system is shaking. And independents are rising. We've been exploring it on this show for almost 200 episodes now, and we'll do it again with our next guest. He joined us back in episode 176, and just like Trump, but more rational and less orange, he's back. I've called him a political arsonist turned firefighter. He's a self-proclaimed reform political gangbanger, a guy who is perfect to talk to about all this and much more. He's former GOP Tea Party leader turned anti-Trumper independent, Joe Walsh. I'm jumping out, falling 
He was once a star in the GOP, a bomb thrower that was a key figure in the Tea Party movement that became a congressional wave of victories in 2010. He said crazy shit. He insulted many people and he ran nasty races. Then he lost to Iraq War veteran Democrat Tammy Duckworth, like so many other GOP leaders did in that cycle. And like they did in this cycle. Joe Walsh versus double amputee combat helicopter pilot Tammy Duckworth was like Blake Masters versus astronaut and Navy vet Mark Kelly. But Joe Walsh reemerged after that. He went into media. He hosted a talk radio show. He stirred up controversy. He stood for positions he believed in, and he stayed in the arena. To the point where in 2018, he turned on Donald Trump and called him a danger to our country and even decided to run against him in the GOP primary. It didn't last long, but Joe did jump in, and he got 1% in the Iowa caucuses. He gave it a shot, and he's still giving it a shot, especially against Donald Trump and his former party that he now calls a cult. So he's back for a fiery and fun conversation about all the stuff that we just experienced and what comes next. Joe is an independent American that's shaping what America has been, what it is, and what it will be. And this is a conversation to help you get smarter, predict better, and of course, stay vigilant. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And this week again, we were all reminded that paying that price can't stop on election day. And with Trump back in the race, we all need to be ready to pay up again for the next few years. So welcome to the return of President Mayhem. Welcome to the end of election season 2022, sort of. And welcome to the beginning of election season 2024. Trouble is definitely brewing. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 197. Americans around the country and around the world. Chaos is our new normal. The election is over, but the fighting is not. And we're going to stay deep into it. And we're going to look ahead and we're bringing back a returning champion, a fellow independent and a voice that is very important now, especially as we figure out what the hell happens next. The great and powerful Joe Walsh is back on Independent Americans. Great to have you back, sir. Shut up, Paul. I'm not the great and powerful. I'm a fan and a friend of yours. That's enough. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I was giving you a little shit before we got started, because if people people should watch on video, this show is also on YouTube and on video. You've got this very cinematic, beautiful thing going on. That's kind of I'm going to I'm going to be very it's very Carrie Lake-esque. Like it, oh, it, I know. So what, what a, is it? It's a twenty dollar piece of black cloth, you big jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the Steve Jobs black shirt on, you know, you're looking fit, but you do have this like it, it's, it's an impact thing. It's a very Carrie Lake, you know, ma- uh, uh, wizardry around your video to make you look a little bit more cinematic. You and I are not suit and tie dudes. We're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Right. We're not. So I think that's maybe going to be. When was the last time you were in a suit and tie? 
I had to, I had to fucking wear one last week and it was terrible. I had to wear, I went to an event at the council on foreign relations for yeah. a memorial event for my, one of my dearest mentors, Les Kelb and council on foreign relations, old school, upper East side. And I, I literally walked into that place and was having like a little bit of vertigo because I hadn't worn a suit and tie and, and I hadn't walked around the city in a suit and tie in so long. I felt like a, I felt like a narc. I don't know what I felt like. Paul, I don't think I've ever seen you in a tie. Well, sometimes I got to wear one, you know, unfortunately, usually it's for like a wedding or a funeral, but yeah. Yeah. I think uh, maybe, you know, this is a time for, for fewer men and women wearing suit and ties. I think people are looking for authenticity and, uh, and, you know, fewer and fewer people are wearing suit and ties. It looks like only politicians, even John Fetterman now has a suit and tie on. So I feel like when you wear a suit and tie, you're kind of bending the knee. So now, so yeah, and so not to carry this awkwardly into politics, but you and I've talked, this is a populist moment in American history. And people are, you know, as well as I do, people are pissed off. They're pissed off at both parties, our politics, everything. Fuck the suit and tie. I want to, I want to fight and do something. Well, I I, I wore my old school Angry Americans t-shirt to kind of channel some of that energy. A lot of folks have been around since that show started almost 200 episodes ago. I'm excited to talk to you about Trump's announcement last night about the election, about the future of the GOP that you used to be a part yeah. of. I want to talk about this rising independent movements and Andrew Yang and the forward party. But let's start with where the hell are you in the world and, and how are you as we come out of this wild election and all this other shit? Uh, thanks, Paul. And always good to be with you. I'm sitting in Washington, D.C. I'm uncomfortably here for probably one more year until I can find a place to land my independent ass. I, uh, I can't go back to my congressional district because they hate me back there. So I, I want to find kind of an independent, purplish place to live. Mm. Well, there are fewer and fewer of those now, right? I mean, that's part of the outcome of the election that I've been talking about is the balkanization, like the red states got redder, the blue states got bluer. There are some exceptions, like California and New York are really interesting. Um, which might be also an insight here. And I think there are a lot of takeaways from the election that I want to get into with you uniquely. But before we do that, the big news last night, Trump makes his formal announcement at, at, a, at a not star studded and not energy filled uh, Mar-a-Lago. Um, but you and I are, are in touch on Twitter. We've both been posting about this. I think it's really important to view it not just as a political story, but as a national security story. Yeah. And, you know, my view is, is you shouldn't be dancing on his grave just yet because he's still mm-hmm. got tens of millions of followers. Um, and we saw Fox coalesce around him last night. I'm sure you were watching it, too. All this, you know, my view, weak reporting on how Fox was going to abandon him. Man, they were fucking lockstep last night to the point where when he started to get boring, they would cut away and make him sound better. They would just rave on him a little bit and kind of gas him up. But um, what are your biggest takeaways from this announcement and and this moment? Uh, Paul, probably pretty close to yours. Maybe the only difference between you and me is for the past five years, every day, I hear from Republican-based voters because that's the world I came from. 
And it, it, look, I would just you and I know that every Republican donor, Republican bigwig, Republican elected official, uh, most of these Republican consultants, they want Trump gone. They've wanted him gone for six years. They've never had the fucking balls to say that publicly. Um, so they laugh at him, dismiss him, mock the speech, do all of that, at, write his obituary, do all of that at your own peril. He's the leader of one of America's two major political parties. He is a cult leader. Um, it's still dangerous. He's still the odds on favor to be the Republican Party nominee. Cut it out. Yeah, I, I, that's what I've been saying, too. And I think it's important. You know, these folks all hated on him last time, too. Right. All the same. And, and this actually empowers him. He can fight harder against the establishment. You know, anybody who thinks that this movement is dead has been isolated to Manhattan and Beverly Hills. I mean, once you leave, the flags are still up. And in my view, I keep looking at it like a social movement, a political movement, yeah. you know, even an insurrection is what I've called it. The, the American insurgency. It's been laying dormant. And now he's out saying, hey, everybody, come on out again. It's safe to come out. I'm back. And, and I think you're going to see that that groundswell kind of pop up again. How big it will be, we'll see. But I, I'm with you. I think he's the odds on favorite to be the nominee. I wouldn't be betting against him at this point. Um, what do you think about, you know, th let's talk about DeSantis. Let's talk about Mike Pence. Uh, you know, what, what do you see as as the opposition in his way? Um. Forget about Mike Pence. I know Mike Pence well. I think he's a good man. He made the worst deal with the devil six years ago. He can never get out of that. He's just not. Again, this is a populist moment. Republicans want a fighter. They want a jerk. They want a bully. Uh, that's not Pence. So Pence has no shot. DeSantis is DeSantis is just a default place right now for Trump supporters. I talk to Trump supporters every day, and even the ones, Paul, who tell me I love him, but I don't know if he can win, I think DeSantis could win. That's the only reason they're glomming on to DeSantis. I know DeSantis well. I think he's unbelievably overrated. He's got zero charisma. He sucks around people. He's a deer in the headlights. He hasn't been on the national stage. So part of Trump's advantage here is. He's a son of a bitch. He's run for president twice. None of these other Republicans are tested. And he's he's almost like a, you know, I was debating with a, with a kid in my building yesterday who's a teenager about NFL quarterbacks. And he was talking to me about the Eagles. And I said, you know, the Eagles are great, but you don't have a quarterback with playoff experience. And playoff experience is when quarterbacks in the NFL differentiate themselves. And I think we see that time and time again. And Trump's a, a quarterback with playoff experience. And DeSantis in my view, is all those things you said. And I also think he's not that bright. And, and he's, he's, and he's tends to be thin skinned in a different kind of way where he doesn't yeah. know what to do with it. Um, and mm -hmm. if I were DeSantis, I would not challenge Trump now. I'd wait for Trump to be out of the spotlight, wait for him to die and do it kind of like what I think Buttigieg is doing on the other side with Biden, waiting for that space to clear so he can enter it. But if, if DeSantis, A, do you think DeSantis is going to run? And B, if he does, I think Trump's going to destroy him and put his head on a wall next to next to you know Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham and all the others. But how do you see it? I uh, I, I know DeSantis is under huge pressure because uh, it, look uh, the, the people who own and run Fox News, Rupert Murdoch himself, they've all called DeSantis and told DeSantis, "We're done with Trump. We want you in." 
He's hearing from wealthy Republican donors every single day. But I agree with you, Paul. I think Trump would eat him up. Look, Donald Trump is a charismatic cult leader. It's it's hard to have a second cult leader. Um, And and, and DeSantis isn't that. He doesn't have any of that. Uh, This is a populist moment. Trump has a hold, I think, on 35 to 40 percent of the Republican Party base. I mean, a religious hold. Um, If DeSantis runs and pisses off that base, he could ruin his career. Mm. So it does make sense to wait, knowing that Trump will probably lose in 24. Yeah, I mean, I also think I don't know if he'll lose in 24, but 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 I I think. I think DeSantis. But either way, he's a one-termer. I think what we're seeing, though, is the machine activating, right? And the machine, Fox News has been pumping up DeSantis for the last year, right? And very quickly, they're going to pop over to Trump like they did last night. And if I'm a Fox News leader, I want DeSantis to run because I want ratings. I want to watch Trump and DeSantis beat the shit out of each other for ratings on Fox, where the the right is going to love that and it's going to be red meat and they're going to consume it. But Fox has been programming them that that DeSantis is the heir apparent, that he's better. And I think that that abandonment can happen pretty quickly, especially, you know, was the old saying is like, you know, once you get punched in the nose, everything is different. And I think we're going to see DeSantis get punched in the nose. So as that happens, Joe, um, how do you see the, the Republican Party evolving, disintegrating, fragmenting? Carrie Lake seems like she's positioning to be a VP. I've said that I think Trump is not only going to announce, he's going to focus his ire and his anger and his movement on Georgia and Arizona, where that can be a focal yeah. point for just a fight. Hey, y'all, I'm back. Let's fight. Let's start with Georgia and Arizona. Um, how do you see that panning out? And where do you see the Kinzingers and, and the Liz Cheney's of the world where, you know, a couple months ago we were saying they might be independents. Now maybe they're going to stay inside and try to fight it out. How do you see that all unfolding inside the GOP? I wouldn't be surprised, Paul, if in four months Trump literally picks Carrie Lake to be his VP. Uh, he loves her and she's an exceptional politician. Uh, under that, you know, make America great election denialism bullshit. Look, I've been saying ever since I left the Republican Party two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, it's a shrinking, dying national party. And that still holds. It's a party of old white men, old white women. They die. And the party's not replacing itself. The Democrats have their own problem because they're being pulled and lurched to the left, which is why where you are and where I am, this land of independence can and should only grow. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, Kinzinger's a buddy. I know him well. We talk all the time. He know he he knows he has no spot in this party. Liz Cheney knows that. Um, they're hesitant to become independents, especially Cheney. Cheney doesn't need to. She's a Cheney. She's she can raise money. She's a legacy. I wouldn't be surprised, Paul, to see Adam leave the party once he leaves Congress, because he has no future in that party. If you're and and Adam knows, Paul, like I I could never go back and be a Republican and run in a cycle or two. They'd never accept me. They'd never accept Adam. Uh, It's a dying, shrinking party. Hmm. Yeah, but I think there's this question now of the the U's and the Kinzingers and the others 
you know, we were thinking maybe they're going to be independents or unaffiliated. Maybe the Republican Party breaks in half and you, you have the Trump MAGAists and you have the more traditionalist conservatives. So I'm fascinated to watch the path for Republicans who haven't left yet. We had Michael Steele on this show. We've had Kinzinger on this show. You know, they're all folks that, in my view, are having their names uh, tarnished by the direction of the party, but they still haven't left yet. So the party's still kind of trading on their name. And I don't know how that's going to shake out. When, when you look at um, at the election, Joe, what are by you? By the way, by the way, Paul, on that point, guys like Michael Steele and Adam Kinzerger and the rest of them who are still holding on to that Republican label, I get it. It's a fucking scary thing to step away formally, like I did almost three years ago, because as much as you and I talk about independence, what do you mean independence? I don't belong to a team right now. Uh, I'm not I'll never bullshit you. I'll never bullshit anybody. Um, I've thought about becoming a Democrat, like a real conservative Democrat. And part of it is I want to belong to a fucking team. You know, I, I like I feel like for the last three years I've been. We've got this fight on the battlefield between Republicans and Democrats. I'm like a consultant on the side of the field advising Democrats. I'm tired of that. I, I want to be on the fucking field. And so you, you feel like you need to be on a team. You know that. Yeah. And I, and I think that's part of what I'm trying to build. And I think others yeah. are trying to build. We're trying to unite the, the folks that are unaffiliated in ways that we can, even if only through conversations on this show and and in other places, we've had Michael Smirkanich on. I mean, there, there's another side of this, too, which is Tulsi Gabbard, right? And, and these other fragmented pieces of mm -hmm. audiences that are breaking off. And I want to come to this, this independent piece in a moment. But before we do, the Democrats, the election, uh, I think they're spiking the ball in a way that is, that is, that is um, very Democrat-like. Um, you know, the, the big story for me is not just that they that, that they won and that the Trump people lost, but the Trump people are still getting 49 percent in these states. Right. And they took big losses in places like New York. Lee Zeldin almost beat Kathy Hochul. I mean, there's an anger and a disgust that you and I have talked about with the Democrats that I think is underappreciated, especially in the media. And in my view, it's the Democrat brand. Right. The Democrat brand is still viewed as weak and liberal and and fragmented and maybe too far left. But what's your big takeaways from the election now that the dust has started to settle? Um, my biggest concern for Democrats is yours. They defied history. And I think because they defied history, I don't think they'll self-reflect and they still need to fucking self-reflect because the Democrats have become the party of woke, elitist, out of touch liberals. Paul, you've heard me say this. I, I talk to low information, unaffiliated voters every day who like neither party. And what they've told me for two years is, yeah, Joe, Republicans are assholes, but Democrats are elitists who don't understand me. Democrats still have that problem. Working class, blue collar Americans who don't like either party. They don't feel at home in either party, but generally they're going to just they're going to side with the asshole if they vote. Mm -hmm. So this is a real big problem. The Democrats won because of Dobbs. I think the abortion issue was so much bigger. I think it was bigger than the election denialism issue. But the Democrats defied history because of Dobbs. Uh, God bless Biden for making democracy an issue. And Trump, Trump inserted himself 
and became like an incumbent almost. Yeah. But I think they also got, you know, the, the downside of Trump without the real upside for the Republicans. Yeah. Right. Because he wasn't on the ballot. And, and if he's on the ballot and he's driving people actively in the way he's going to be now for the next two years, I think you're going to see higher turnout. You're going to see more focused mobilization. You're going to see more people fighting effectively in the media on the side of that group, which I don't support, obviously. But they're going to score more points because they're going to be better activated and, and better united. And I think that's what I keep looking toward. At, at the same time, where Democrats, Nancy Pelosi may be gone. Right. And, and I, I know Nancy Pelosi. I respect Nancy Pelosi. And, and there's one thing you can't deny. She gets shit done. And if she's gone. Hakeem Jeffries and this whole other second level is not Nancy Pelosi. So you could very quickly see McCarthy changing the narrative, Trump amplifying the narrative, investigations into Afghanistan, investigations into Biden and, and putting them back on their heels. How do you view um, independence that you talk to as 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 sorting out? in this period over the next year or two. They're not really excited about John Fetterman. They're not really excited about J.D. Vance. But where do you see them kind of sorting out in, in this next couple of months? I, and Paul, I know this is what you think about every day and you're trying to work on. And I want to help your brother however I can. It's like it's like there's no home for these people. Mm -hmm. There's no place to land. I mean, I'm a very high profile independent, as you are. We don't have a home. I think of all the, the, the Joe, Joe average people out there who are unaffiliated. And then an election comes along. They don't like either party, but they kind of have to support one of the party because, again, there's a fight going on. That's the battlefield. It's Democrats versus Republicans. Well, I got to choose sides. And until there's a home or another side for these people to go to, I think we're just screaming in the wind. Well, I, I've talked a lot on this show about options for independence. We saw good news in Nevada where question three went forward. There'll yeah. be open primaries, ranked choice voting. There's a very small chance that we could see the same thing happen before the end of the year in Pennsylvania. Um, I think that movement is happening. I also think that the legalized marijuana uh, yeah. piece of turnout helped Fetterman in particular. Republicans yeah. can bash him, but I do think that might have been like an X factor here that tends to, to capture independence. But you haven't been on since the forward party launched. We've had um, uh, Christy Ty Whitman has been on the show. Andrew Yang has promised to come on at the end of this month. We'll see if he does. What's your analysis uh, of the forward party? And uh, as a part of that, why haven't you joined it? Maybe that's a really good way to put a joint, put, put a pin on it. But what do you think of the forward party and why haven't you joined? It? By the way, Paul, that's why I love you, because you don't fucking beat around the bush. You ask the questions that most people want to avoid. Why, why didn't I join the forward party? I was under enormous pressure to join. Uh, I thought seriously about joining. Uh, I didn't join because my feeling right now is our fight right now is to save democracy. You want to change democracy, reform democracy? I'm all about it. But right now, my former political party is an existential threat to our democracy. I don't want anything to take away from that. Um, there needs to be a third party. There needs to be a fourth party. I think it's coming. Uh, my problems with the forward party in particular are uh, they don't fucking stand for anything. I mean, parties are 
people kind of coalescing around a set of beliefs, ideas, and principles. The forward party purposely avoids all that. I think that's a dead end. Uh, Andrew Yang, the other reason, Paul, look, I like Andrew Yang, but if Andrew Yang is leading or the face of a movement, I just think it's dead in the water. So I've, I've stayed on that point a lot because, you know, the chief salesman of an idea and a movement and a party has to be effective, right? And and I think there's, you know, this this is the Andrew Yang, a lot of the infrastructure, the on-the-ground organizers are going to come from his political campaign. And I, you know, there's a lot of what he's doing that I'm rooting for. And I think his analysis is right. I just think his prescription is wrong. And the wrongest part about it is him. So let he's me ask you this. It, if, if it was somebody else, and let, let me pick it, let me pick a If it was Admiral Mike Mullen, if it was Admiral Stravides, if it was, I keep saying the ghost of John McCain has been strong in the last couple of, of months. Uh, if it had been someone else, that it did not have a background in politics, it wasn't changing jerseys, would you have joined it? Yeah, Paul, and by the way, again, it's, it's full disclosure. I, 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 I thought about it and they worked me and they pressured me and I was almost there. But, but I stopped and I said, A, it can't be an Andrew Yang thing. So if you're gonna launch this fucking thing, you better launch it with five or six really good names from across the spectrum. And maybe Andrew is one of them. Christine Todd Whitman, God bless her, forget about it. She's like yesterday. So it, so it became the Andrew Yang thing from the beginning, uh, doomed from the start. That's their fault. I also told them, don't, don't launch something three months before this midterm election. Uh, wait until early 23 or something, once the dust is settled. But they were gung-ho on doing it now. I don't know why. I think it was a mistake. And they didn't surround Yang with bigger, better names. That's a fatal flaw. I think that's right. And I, I do think that they do stand for something. They're not right. articulate. They're trying to say that they stand for ranked choice voting. They're trying to say they stand for breaking up the two parties. And, and I don't think Yang is communicating that well. When Christy Todd Whitman came on this show, she actually did it better than he does. Now, that may not be enough for people. They may want them to take stands on abortion. But I do think they do. They're trying to stand for something. And what I've said is if a third party just said we stand for open primaries or we stand for empowering independence or we stand for disrupting the system for everybody who doesn't want the other two, that would be more compelling if it wasn't somebody who was a Democrat 11 months ago. So I, I, I wonder, is there any other leader on the spectrum that you see? Um, you know, we've got this older generation of uh, the Angus Kings and the others who kind of call themselves independents. We see how many young people are registering as, in, as independents. Fifty percent of veterans call themselves independents. Are, are there any leaders you see out there or organizations out there that you see that could potentially present an alternative to the forward party? Paul, it's got to be younger blood and it's got to be people who don't come from the political world. Uh, businessmen, entertainers, The Rock, Mark Cuban. Uh, I know those names are always floated out there. And, and in theory and in principle, they fit this because they are independent minded. But it's going to take it's going to take and we're getting there. Uh, it's, it's going to take a really big name or two or three who finally says, Trump, Biden again, fuck this. This is the greatest country in the history of the world, man. Um, and we're getting there. 
Uh, but, but like Paul, like like I, I, I'm a great name, but I couldn't be the face of something. Uh, I'm too politically associated with something, just like Yang is. I think it's got to come from outside the political world. Yep. yep. Well-known people who band together, or businessmen and women who say, "Time out, we're fucking better than these." I people. think that's right. I, I said this before. I think there's a huge potential for people from the military. I think there's a huge potential for people from sports. I think there's yeah. a huge potential for celebrities. Uh, you know, I think billionaires are, are are really kind of the old model for independence, right? Like, I don't think Cuban is going to be the right kind of guy. I've said The Rock, simply because of his popularity, is a compelling case study to consider, right? But is there also not another piece of this that I think folks are, are underappreciating, which is there is a scenario where Trump could not get the nomination. Yeah. If he doesn't get the nomination, He's running anyway, and he's going to run as an independent. Have you thought about that? And, and do you have reactions or analysis? Well, that's the funny thing, Paul. A hell of a lot of his hardcore support isn't Republican. Uh, these are people who just attach themselves to him. They're independent. They're unaffiliated. They hate both parties. You're right about Trump. They're, they're fucked with him and they're fucked without him. They can't win in either scenario. If he doesn't get the nomination, he'll burn their house down. Literally. He'll take his 25 to 30% of the people and he'll either run again or he'll start a separate movement and keep them out of the Republican uh, aisle, which will, I don't know, Paul, what's your thought? Which might muddy and dirty the whole independent movement again if Trump is out there leading an independent type of an effort. I, I, you know, everybody always, the, the knock on independence is that they're a spoiler. And I think that's over-exaggerated and, and uh, especially doesn't consider the impact independence can have on other than the presidential races and in places where they're ranked choice voting and other, other different structural changes. But I think if, if, if Trump runs, he will be the spoiler for the Republicans. And I think you give it to, to Biden. There's no way Biden loses if you have anybody. Let's say, it's, let's say it's DeSantis and Trump against Biden. As long as Biden's breathing, he wins because then Trump becomes the spoiler. And I think people always view the independent as a spoiler against, I, mean, I don't want to oversimplify, against the good guy, right? And against, always against the Democrat, uh, in, in a way that hurts the Democrat. But um, this could be the guy who, who spoils it in the same way Ross Perot did for George Bush. Two points, Paul. And I know you're aware of this organization called No Labels. Right. Um, they, they've raised a shitload of money. They're hoping it's Trump and Biden again, and they want to put forth this unit, unity independent presidential ticket. Uh, I think it's bullshit and, and they're not doing any grassroots work. The other thing that makes the independent drive difficult right now is this people like me. I, I should be I should be at the forefront of starting a third party or an independent movement, but I'm not. Because I really do believe the Republican Party right now is anti-democracy. The Democratic Party is too far left. They're wrong on most issues, but they still believe in democracy. So you got this thing, Paul, where one of the two parties is like anti-democracy. And so that's like taking the attention of a lot of, of our fight. You know what I mean? Where yeah, I do. I do. It's hard and to be I, focused I wanna... on. Let's start something new. I want, to, I want to probe on that, and um, I hope you'll stick around for a little extra piece for our Patreon yeah. members. I want to give a shout-out to them. If you're not a Patreon member, folks, check it out. Sign up. Help us continue to bring this, and you'll get extra content with Joe, no ads, uh, and some other good stuff. But um, 
is I get where you're coming from, Joe, but is is not your enemy, you know, your enemy's friend, your friend, because what about Evan McMullen? Right. I, I want to focus on that specifically with you, because there was can it can an independent win in places where Democrats can't. Evan didn't win. It was further than I think a lot of us would have hoped, but he did better than anybody who wasn't a Republican since 1976. He had flaws as a candidate, but there was but there was something to be learned there. And what is your takeaway from the Mike Lee versus Evan McMullen matchup in Utah? I'll tell you what, Paul, uh, uh, that one bummed me out because you talk about the perfect scenario. Utah, which is not a Trumpy state. Um, Mike Lee, former friend of mine, who's become really extreme. The Democrats don't put up a candidate perfectly set up for an independent candidate to win or be right there. I was stunned that Evan did well, lost by as much as he did. I, I, I'd like your take on this. I just that relief set me back on my heels a little bit. The fact that it wasn't closer. Yeah, I think I think he started late. Yeah, uh, I think there is some brand uh, um, yeah. exhaustion with Evan. Yeah, totally. Um, where people feel he's a bit opportunistic because he's bounced around. Totally, um, he's not the most invigorating candidate on the planet. Not right? at all. I mean, there was a lot of energy around him, but I think some of that energy was around the idea of him. Right? Yeah. If you have a, you know, I'm going to use a really a good and bad example, a Herschel Walker. Right. Like a former football player, someone that is an outsider, someone that that can connect with people in a different way. I think that might have been different in Utah. And I don't know who it is, but there there I think we, we lose track of the fact that the candidate themselves sometimes Matter. go back to Matter. that playoff quarterback. Right. Fetterman down the stretch was not great as a candidate. He was he was he was fumbling the ball. So I think you got to go back to the strength of the candidate. And that's where I see the real opportunity for independence. If I think Mike Bloom, if Mike Bloomberg started calling 100 people and said, hey, I'll give every one of you 20 million dollars if you run and he gets half of them, then you've got a whole crop of people that can all take shots and probably do better than Evan McMullen and people who were Democrats and Republicans a couple of years ago. Agreed, 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 Paul. So I, I, I do think that as you've outlined it, a dynamic, really strong candidate who's not super political and just says, I'm going to do this running for Senate or in a few very targeted House districts starting early. I think in 24, you could have two or three or four get elected. Um, but that's 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 got to take money and strategy. And as you said, Bloomberg or somebody seeding this thing to make it happen. Well, I'm going to share more about my thoughts on that. I've been talking about a concept that I'm calling Operation Independence, where I lay out what I think is a national strategy, because that's the real problem is there's no strategic planning around independence. It's one offs here and one offs there. And they haven't developed the bench. They haven't figured out the funding mechanism. Hey, Paul, can I ask a question? Please. Who's they? Isn't the problem that we. there's not a Say they? We, right? We. we. Is there an, no, no. Is there an independent organization, Inc.? Like, I, I wish there was There's not right now. And I think and I think that's what I've been trying to noodle on, you know, out loud and, and also yeah. behind the scenes. And I'm going to share more in the next couple of months about Good. what I'm thinking. 
Um, but I do think there's been a lack of strategic planning and there's been a lack of strategic leadership. And I want to try to provide some of that. I'm sure you will. And plenty of other folks who've been guests on this show, but, but it's been spray and pray. It's been taking pot shots and it's been throwing Hail Marys and we need more of a movement that really captures all and that. What would be your, Paul, what would be your goal of the movement? Like, like, is it as specific as you'd like to see a handful of independents elected? I think you need to transform the political system to empower independents and unaffiliates. Okay. I think that is the goal, right? So that folks like us have, and that's a comprehensive series of things ranging from ranked choice voting to open primaries, public financing, uh, research, right? Understanding more about who these folks are, voter registration, right? We know that young people disproportionately register as independents and unaffiliates. Well, we could be doing that and capturing that for our, I'm always going to use this example. I know many of our listeners are sick of hearing it, but The Rock, right? If yeah. The Rock stood up tomorrow and said, I'm the independent candidate for president, voter turnout, fundraising, a farm team, lower level candidates across the board. And maybe The Rock loses, but maybe you get a couple governor's mansions. Maybe mm-hmm. you get a couple congressional seats. And that's what a movement is. It builds over time and then culminates maybe 20 years from now with an independent candidate for president that can win. The bottom line, big picture view here is. And this is why Trump got elected six years ago. This is why Bernie was so popular six years ago. Our fucking political system is broken. Most Americans get that. The fix is not going to come from inside the system. We are, Paul, we're at the onset. I wish you and I were 20 years old. We're at the onset of revolutionary change in this country. So I think a lot of the shit you're talking about uh, is going to be happening this next 15 to 20 years. Well, I was going to ask you what's next, but you just answered that question. Uh, I, I do appreciate all you're doing. I feel like you're also, you know, you're, you're, you're on liberal media a lot, right? You're on CNN, you're on other places that I think Fox won't have me on anymore, Paul. I, but I think you're talking sense to, to liberals yeah. uh, when they need to hear it. I think the Lincoln project and others have tried to do that. But I, but I think it's going to be really vital and, and they need a bit of a sobering right now because I want them to do better than the alternative. And I want um, people to be honest and sober in this moment and still recognize that tens of millions of Americans didn't even vote. Right. And are just so fed up. They're checked out. And so I think your voice is really important, man. I'm grateful um, for, your, for your fight. I'm grateful for you coming on the show again. Uh, and I do hope you run for something and get back in the arena. Hey, uh, Paul, I, I want to compliment you and then I'll shut up. Um, I, and I, I, I anticipate running again soon. I do. Um, the Democratic Party, and this may not happen, should fucking have people like you. I'd say have people like me, but maybe I'm a little too conservative. But they, Paul, they don't. the Democrats don't have somebody like you who talks like you. I could put you in a fucking bar anywhere in this country and you could talk to anybody. You could sit at the bar and shoot the shit with a regular guy. This is what Democrats lack right now. Um, and they could broaden their tent if they had voices like yours. Have you ever, by the way, would you ever go back or ever become a Democrat? No. I mean, I, and I appreciate you saying that because that run came at me a few times. It came yeah. at me in 04. It came at me in 06. And there, and there was, a, you know, a concerted effort to recruit guys like me. Yeah. And I said no. And folks like Tammy Duckworth said yes. Folks like Patrick Murphy said yes. 
Um, you know, now you got folks like Wes Moore who are saying yes. Um, and, but I why did you say no? Sorry. Why did you say no? I'm not a Democrat, and I and I and I don't and and I just never was going to lie about who I was. And I felt like the structure was broken and I didn't want to compromise my integrity and my values because it was the only way I could get elected. Right. And I've taken the harder road and, you know, to quote Robert Frost has made all the difference in the world. Yeah. But but I do think there's a day in the future where folks like us, especially the younger versions of us, have a path. And I want to open that door. Um, You know, but I think there's a lot of us that could have run. And we could be sitting in leadership in the Democratic Party right now, maybe in the Republican Party. And I'm excited about the potential of those people, because the ones that we really need in this moment and the ones that we really want to run are the ones who never have. Yes. That's the generation I'm excited about, especially from the national security and defense community where Ukraine and Poland and China and Iran and everything else, I think, are still such a critical part of the story. Uh, Brother, I love you and I'll work with you to help you do anything. All right, man. Well, to, where, well I, mean, I can't let you off the hook. Where are you going to run? What are you going to run for? <laughs> well, first of all, I got to find a place. So I got to find my purplish independent district or state. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I'll never be a Republican again. I probably will never be a Democrat. So I'd probably run as an independent. And would you you're just going to roll around in a trailer until you just stop in a parking lot and say, hey, here's I'm going for it? Raise a shitload of money from people. all. That's the one cool thing, Paul. If you do run as an independent, the ability to raise small dollars is, is there now. Um, you, can, you can really, because of Twitter and everything else, you can get noticed quickly. Well, I hope when you announce you will come on Independent Americans to do it. Yes. I, I appreciate all you're doing. Uh, you're going to stick around for our Patreon members. The great and powerful Joe Walsh, thank Thanks, you for, for all you're doing, man, especially in this moment. And until next time, stay vigilant. Thanks, man. There you have it, Joe Walsh. We might have to take this little conversation tour on the road. But until then, check out his podcast, The White Flag with Joe Walsh. Check out his delicately titled book, Fuck Silence, calling Trump out for the cultish, moronic, authoritarian con man he is. Of course, follow him on Twitter, as long as Twitter is still around. Watch him on MSNBC, CNN, News Nation. Joe's out there scrapping it up, and he's trying to make a difference. And he's talking to, with, and for lots of folks. And he's a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. The helpers are out there. We see them every single day. So look for them all across America and all across the world. There was another important and less sensational announcement this week. Amazon founder and billionaire Jeff Bezos gave a true helper that we've talked about on this show before, $100 million. We have in this very room uh, the next recipient of the Courage and Civility Award, The woman you're about to meet embodies these ideals so thoroughly. She gives with her heart what she's done for kids, literacy, and so many other things is just incredible. It is my great honor to welcome our 2022 Courage and Civility Award recipient up onto the stage, Dolly Parton. Well, did you 
Did you say a hundred million dollars? When people are in a position to help, you should help. And I know that I've always said I try to put my money where my heart is. And I think you do the same thing. I will do my best to uh, to do uh, good things with this money. Thank you, Jeff. Yeehaw. When people are in a position to help, you should help. Empowering Dolly Parton is a smart and inspiring investment. She is a true leader. She is a helper. She is a role model. And I hope Jeff Bezos and others give her $100 million every year. When I say look for the helpers, I mean Dolly Parton. And imagine if Dolly Parton ran as an independent. Remember that line she used to say during the pandemic? Don't be a chicken squat. Get the shot. Well, we all need a shot at Dolly. She is a true helper. And look for the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. Let me know what's out there inspiring you. And while you're on social media, on all the different platforms, trying to avoid Trump and Elon Musk and all the other madness, play Guest the Guest every Wednesday. Many of you did so again this week. Like Darthist Wiffiest, great name. He correctly guessed Joe Walsh. He's from lovely upstate New York. His bio says, I enlisted to fight blizzards in New York and drink hot chocolate. Ended up in Iraq fighting poor people and pounding water. Been crop dusting ever since. Congrats, you got it right. I posted a picture of the other Joe Walsh, the guy from the Eagles. And many of you were hoping that I was getting him on the show. Now, I would love to have him on the show, but it's the other Joe Walsh. And the real Dave Petrie got it right. And he said, would love for you to be chatting with Joe Walsh, especially about his music and time with the Eagles. I'm certain he'd opine on the state of the country, but I'll settle for a conversation with the other Joe Walsh because I know he'll be happy to discuss the upcoming GOP death match in 2024. You are correct, Dave. Thank you for playing. You know who else got it? Our friend Delfino Sanchez down at Aldine Tree Services, Houston, stump grinding. If another hurricane comes through Texas, and it probably will, check out our man Delfino. He can help you get your trees cleaned up and he will always correctly guess the guest. He guessed Joe Walsh. He, like a couple others, were hoping that we were bringing both Joe Walsh's on the show. I didn't do that, but that would be cool. And he said, are the Giants making the playoffs this season? Damn right they're making the playoffs. They might win the whole division now that Philly's lost, and they're playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I can't remember if the Giants have ever played on Thanksgiving in my lifetime, and definitely not in a game that means anything. So I encourage you all to watch the Giants play against Delfino's Dallas Cowboys, because I know you're not a Houston Texans fan, Delfino. I don't think anybody is at this point. But I am a fan of you, Delfino. I'm also a fan of Nate Holdstein, who correctly guessed Joe Walsh on my Instagram page, showing that we are guessing guests on every kind of social media platform. So check us out every single Wednesday night. The hashtag is guess the guest, and go to our website, independentamericans.us. If you don't know, I want you to know, we have a newsletter now. We're going to crank up the newsletter activity, give you content in different ways, try to keep you ahead of the news, and we're going to do one maybe daily, and it's going to be great. So go to independentamericans.us, give us your email, sign up, and we will keep you in the loop and help you stay vigilant. You can also check out some new merch. Yo, it's getting cold out there, and we now have got new Independent Americans hoodies. You can get your holiday shopping done early and go get an Independent Americans hoodie for the favorite independent in your life. 
And while you're on the website, you can also check out video of Joe Walsh. It's on YouTube and everywhere else you can find us. And subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are. I am thankful for all of you this Thanksgiving season. I would be even more thankful if you could subscribe and share this with everybody coming to your Thanksgiving dinner. And I am also thankful to our Patreon community. Big shout out to all of you. If you're not a patron, you can sign up now and you will get extra Joe Walsh. I got an extra conversation with Joe Walsh where we talk about Yellowstone, which is back and I love. We talk about what it's like to go to CNN and MSNBC and on the Bill Maher show. And he tells us why he hates Kevin Costner. Oh, also, if you're a Patreon member, you can listen to this show with no commercials. That's all at our website. Check it out and spread the word. And thanks for being a part of the Independent Americans movement. You're helping us continue to bring the five eyes to folks around the world. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And some folks that should always be on your radar, you should always be thankful for, is the Righteous Media team. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez making all this good stuff happen. And of course, my big three that makes everything happen, my amazing wife, Lori, and my fiery and exhausting two little boys. My wife's birthday was awesome. We had a great opportunity to celebrate her. And before that, we had a pretty sobering and different kind of Veterans Day. Now, every Veterans Day, one thing I always want to make sure to do is remember a guy in my unit, Specialist Robert Wise, 21, of Tallahassee, Florida, who was killed on Veterans Day in Baghdad in 2003. He was on a mounted patrol just outside our base when an improvised explosive device hit his Humvee. We served in the same unit, and the attack happened just a couple hundred yards away from me. So every year on Veterans Day, I and all the other guys in our unit remember Wise and pour out a little for him. And we also reflect on the fact that that IED could have killed any one of us. War is like that. And that feeling and understanding never leaves us. And neither does his memory, especially around Veterans Day. His mom, Tammy, said about him, Robert's loss is the hardest thing I believe I will ever have to face. He was so full of life and promise, and now that life and promise is gone. I know I will never see him again, hug him, hold him, hear his laugh, and see that beautiful smile. It's made bearable only by the fact that Robert was serving his country and was performing a duty which he believed in completely and deeply. She said, I am so very proud of him, and I am also so very proud to be his mother. So I took a minute to remember Wise this Veterans Day and so many other friends and veterans all across our community. It's a time of reflection. It's a time of celebration, and it's just a heavy time. And I've been doing parades and galas and political events and media stuff on Veterans Day for almost 20 years. So this year, I celebrated that actual day, Veterans Day, a bit differently. Yep, for the first time since the start of the pandemic, the boys and I went to Monster Jam. We were back at Monster Jam in Bridgeport, Connecticut. We saw Gravedigger, we saw Toro Loco, we saw a new truck that I never heard of called Gitter Dunn. And it was the best. It was awesome. It was fun. And it was my little guy River's first ever Monster Jam experience. 
And in my view, it was my best Veterans Day yet. And it was a reminder that we're all in this together, especially as Thanksgiving in America approaches, we're all in this together. And independent Americans are leading the way. We're fighting the forces of ignorance and stupidity. And we might be greatly outnumbered, but we can and will win. The good guys and gals can win. We can and will win against the biggest threats. Russia, Trump, extremism, the two-party duopoly, apathy, indifference, the Dallas Cowboys, all of it. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And this independent wave we are building continues to grow. And we're all in it together, especially this Thanksgiving season. From Kerry Lake to Katie Hopps, from Blake Masters to Mark Kelly, from Ron DeSantis to Mike Pence to Donald Trump, from Ali Gabriel to James Gang to Sam and Dave, from Arizona to Georgia to the University of Virginia to Herson, Ukraine, from Joe Walsh to you. Yeah. Donald Trump is coming, but so are independent Americans. So hold on, America. We're coming. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. Media.